Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast. As always, I'm Eli Sussman, Fish Stripes managing editor. And as almost always, these episodes will be dropping on Wednesdays during the Miami Marlins offseason. A programming reminder, we're continuing to do the Big Fish Small Pod on Tuesdays and on Fridays during the offseason. And then there's Fish Stripes Unfiltered, Isaac Azut, Kevin Barral. Those are every other Saturday, so every two weeks in between episodes. If you prefer to look at Marlins content with your eyes, then there's a ton of that on the Fish Stripes social media feeds on our YouTube channel and at the mothership, fishstripes.com. Keeping me company on this episode, it's Fish Stripes Deputy Editor, Louis Adio Weiss. Why? Why? Like, why are you here? He's here because Lewis is going to help me introduce this series that tentatively calling Marlins offseason shopping. And we're going to go one aisle at a time. This is an idea that I came up with. I think it's kind of unique. Um, there's so many ways you could divide up all these players. Hundreds of potential directions the Marlins could go with actually turning this roster from 67 wins into being decent, into being competitive. And the idea that I had for organizing this, um, something that I think goes with the way that our brains are wired, is kind of breaking it down by how these guys did the previous season. Um, that's usually a factor that we weigh pretty heavily in you know, looking at potential additions. This will be the first aisle, aisle one of their off-season shopping at the off-season supermarket. And it's going to be guys that this past season produced wins above replacement of 1.0 or below based on baseball reference. And so people that aren't like fluent in that, it just means that these guys didn't do much this past year. Uh, they're either in small roles or they missed time with injuries or they struggled. This is aisle one, one war or below. And Lewis, I'm sure you came up with a bunch of different players for us to break down. Yeah, we can get started if you want at the catcher position, because I think, you know, as most Marlin fans know, that was definitely a position of adversity, a position where in the wake of Francisco Cervelli announcing he was going to retire following an injury shortened season and just a short season in general in 2020 where, you know, he was, <clears throat> wasn't on the field much, but he produced and obviously veteran pitchers like Sandy Alcantara kind of benefited from working with him. Uh, a name that I had, as far as somebody who I think would make sense, I don't, and I don't think he'll cost much 
for a bevy of reasons, but Robinson Chirinos is a, is a guy that I thought made sense. Like, put it this way, getting out of Jorge Alfaro, who, you know, we all kind of, if hindsight is twenty twenty, given past performance, and you can read my uh, season review of him on Fish Stripes official website that I wrote last week. You know, the combination of just tools that don't match up with output is something that's been a bit of a problem for Alfaro ever since he kind of came up with the Phillies after being traded from the Texas organization. It, you've seen, obviously, the power. Uh, the defense is shaky at times, but he doesn't offset the strikeout rate, which I believe was lower this year. It was still 31.6%, I believe, with low on base. Uh, they had to try him out in left field. I think... I mean, a lot of us can say to say the Jorge Alfaro era has kind of run its course. But with Torinos, I'm looking at a veteran catcher who has a reputation of being a relatively decent defensive catcher. But when he was with Houston and even at some points with the Rangers, showed that he could be a competent offensive player. Now, he only had 112 plate appearances in 2021, spent some time with the Cubs, but for a catcher, he put up a 774 OP or 778 OPS plus. Yeah. 324 on base, 454 slug, a 107 OPS plus. Now, obviously, when you're signing a catcher, especially a guy who's going to be entering his age 37 season, he'll be 38 in June. You know, you're not expecting much, but we saw that guys like Trevor Rogers and Sandy and Pablo and essentially everybody who kind of pitched last year benefit in 2021 benefited from having a guy like Sandy Leon, who, while he didn't provide much in the way of offense, I believe he was in the negative war category. A lot of pitchers, you know, even Dylan Floro, who I, we spoke to in the last game of the season, you know, spoke heaps of praise for a guy like Sandy. And I think the, obviously it can't be overstated the importance of a veteran catcher whose primary focus is working with pitchers and making pitchers better is important. And, you know, and then especially with a guy like Chirinos who can, you know, play good defense and balance it with relatively decent offense. You know, if you, if we, if we sign a guy like this for one, for one year, say four or 5 million, and he puts up, you know, gives us one war, he's going to be well worth it because he's going to be providing decent offense. He'll be playing good defense. He'll be working with, and it's another veteran backstop for, to keep on going and sound like a broken record that our pitchers can work with. And I, you know, it can't be overstated the importance of veteran catchers like that. And that's why I think he makes a lot of sense for us. Yeah. I'm, maybe the one knock on him is his age being 37. He'll turn 38 pretty early next year. So I, I guess I'll go with the catcher too, to start this off. One guy that um, a bigger name, I suppose, would be Tucker Barnhart of the Reds, who is not a, a full free agent at the moment. The Reds will have to make a decision on his club option and his contract but uh, I bring him up here just because I feel even if he doesn't hit the open market, that he's a guy that could be a trade candidate for the Reds. They got a really nice year out of Tyler Stevenson, a much younger former top prospect with a bunch of years of control. Even if they pick up the option on Barnhart, it would be his his final year. Their farm system isn't in great shape. Um, so Barnhart, I think he's won two gold gloves, actually, in his yeah, career. Yep. Yeah, and only – still entering it was going to be entering his age 31 season and i was kind of surprised that he was even you know eligible for this aisle i didn't realize how mediocre season he'd had it only comes in at 0.2 war on a baseball reference and his hitting um the last few years it's kind of plateaued you know he had that breakout year in 2017 as a hitter where he was pretty close to league average and since then he's been 
75, 80% of league average for a catcher though. You can live with that. Of course, if you're playing literal gold glove quality defense, the way that he is has a little bit of power, doesn't strike out a ton. Uh, so even though the season coming off a year where he only slugged 368, um, it's still, as you, you mentioned, the, the room for improvement, the bar that you're trying to clear if you're a catcher coming to the Marlins is so low from having Alfaro and having Sandy Leon being the two main guys that were catching uh, this past season. And I think he clears that pretty comfortably. Uh, he would so, be, yeah. yeah, he would be another cheap option considering that he, and the Reds did kind of do what a lot of teams were doing, you know, in the mid to late 20 teens where, you know, we saw guys like Jose Tabata with the Pirates getting very team-friendly deals. Starling Marte at one point got a very team-friendly deal with the Pirates. I mean, Barnhart is coming off a four-year $16 million contract. And if you really look at, you know, he's put up 7.1 baseball reference war in the time that he's been with the Reds. You know, it's, it's, a part, it's part of eight seasons, but, you know, that's not bad for a catcher, like you said. And if you're getting – Gold Glove caliber defense. We also have to remember that he was catching guys like Kevin Gosman. He caught guys like Bauer. He caught, you know, a slew of pitchers that, you know, probably benefited from working with him. I'm sure a guy like Bauer did, even though Barnhart only played in 38 games last year. But, you know, and the one concern with me is the slug. You know, yeah. obviously catchers, you're not going to find a guy like Yasmani Grandal anywhere who's going to put up a 400 on base and totally defy what it means to hit for any, some semblance of batting average. He's, he's a career 371 slug and his slugging percentage is about 380 over the past three seasons. And it's a decent chunk of games. It's about 270 games. So I would be a little concerned about that, especially considering he's moving from great American ballpark to Marlins park, who a park, as we've seen, does play a lot more favorably to pitchers. Although I will say that you re you can't really get much worse from Alfaro, especially if you have a guy who's putting the ball in play a lot more often. I mean, he's averaging less than a strikeout per game, which in this era is fantastic. And, you know, he walks relatively decently for a catcher, something we also couldn't say about a guy like Alfaro or even a guy like Chad Wallach. So not – and he wouldn't be expensive, like you're noting. I mean, you know, if you're coming off a very team-friendly deal with a vesting option, which I don't think they'll, they'll pick up, you know, he could be a relatively cheap option on the free agent market if he wants to recoup some value. So I actually do – I really do agree with that pick. I'm surprised that somebody I didn't put on my list when I was preparing for this. His name, I can't remember. It's probably last offseason. His name floated around from people. I don't think there was ever, like, real talks between teams about it, but it was a big shocker last offseason that they did basically nothing to address their catch position. And with this guy, you'd be buying low just based on – I, what we mentioned about his previous years and kind of what he uh, accomplished. One kind of really unrelated name, I guess, would be a reliever. Tyler Clippard is a name that is is in my mind always because he is someone that started his career with the Yankees, and we know how many Yankee connections there are with this Marlins front office. He missed a lot of this year due to injury, and he is in the same way that you brought up Chirinos, he's one of the older guys that I think we're going to mention. He's pretty deep into his thirties at this point. He'll head into his age 37 season. And he was with the diamondbacks this past year. But aside from this past year, what sticks out is just his freakish durability because the Marlins got kind of fortunate in that regard from their bullpen this past offseason. The one thing the bullpen did well is the guys were always available. Bass was always available. Dylan Floro was always available. Richard Blyer, um, it was really pretty remarkable until 
with just a few exceptions. So, uh, assuming that some of those guys come back but don't get quite as lucky, you have this guy that, for whatever reason, year after year for like 10, 11 straight years as in a relief-only type, he's just been available to pitch. And most of those years, he's been significantly better than replacement level. Um, like even this year, he would have been above that one war threshold if he had actually pitched the whole year. But he only made yeah. 26 appearances in total. And he also just comes to mind as someone that's a slightly different look than anybody else. The Marlins bullpen has uh, at this stage of his career, his his fastball velo is a little bit slower than most. And he, he goes pretty heavily fastball changeup. It's pretty yeah. simple formula, formula, but it looks a little bit different than someone like Dylan Floro. It definitely looks different from some of the other bullpen guys we expect back, like Anthony Bass and Zach Pop. On and on, it's it's a little bit unique. He has those Yankee ties, and just coming off like a shortened season, he's someone that, like, he seems to be every year. He should be available on a pretty cheap one-year deal. They're just waiting to like reach a decision on his mutual option. So he has a mutual option in his contract. Those like ninety-five percent of the time, they get declined by either the team or the player. It's a three-point-five million dollar option. So I imagine that one side is going to wiggle out of that and he'll be on the market. Um, if not, I mean, we know the position the Diamondbacks are in coming off a hundred, a million losses this past season. Like yeah. maybe they could just trade for him, even if that, that option does get picked up. Well, I mean, you're, it's funny that you mentioned that for three and a half million for a guy who overall his last 113 innings pitch, which is literally part of three seasons. He's pitching to a 294 ERA to a guy who, and especially when we talk about relievers, a position that is more fraught with fragility than any other spot maybe in the sport, he's – it's – most people forget because of maybe the rough 2017 that he had that at one point this guy was one of the maybe top 10 best relievers in baseball. And even when, he, you know, he was, you know, arguably the along with Drew Storm, you know, the most reliable arm in that Nationals bullpen in their gradual ascendance to, you know – perennial playoff contention, you know, Clippert kind of always struck me, and especially you say it now with the diminished fastball velocity because he is averaging about 90 miles an hour with his fastball nowadays. And the utter, the, the you know, the utter adoration he has for his changeup, he's almost like a poor man's Trevor Hoffman in that way. You I mean, he's not throwing a palm ball, but it's a very, you know, it's a nice little straight changeup that has some very nice vertical break. You know, it's almost it's almost one of those pitches that kind of stops in midair when you watch him pitch. But it, he also just has the the art of deception in his delivery with that high raise of his of his glove arm. It, you know, it's hard for hitters to pick up. So ninety ninety one from a guy like that probably looks like ninety four ninety five, which obviously that's nothing nowadays considering the way that we've kind of become so inundated with triple digits. But yeah, I mean, I've I've always been a big admirer of his and. It'd be nice to add another veteran. I mean, I definitely think it would go a lot better than when we acquired Hunter Zervenka from Atlanta or, you know, what happened with um, Detweiler this this season. Yeah. Um, a reliever I had, though, and this is going to be an odd one. I have two Dodgers that are set to hit free agency. One, similarly good results in the same way that Clipper did, albeit – Slightly better and with slightly better peripherals. Corey Knable is a free agent at the end of the season. And Corey Knable, you know, he's, I believe he's 31. He'll be entering his age 31, 32 season in 2022. 
He put up .7 R ward, but for a reliever, that's not bad considering he only pitched 25 and two-thirds innings. He had a 245 ERA, and, and, you know, obviously ERA not the most, like, accurate, you know, assessment of pitcher performance. You, you know, we have metrics like expected ERA, FIP, um, Sierra, et cetera. But his 2.9 FIP, I mean, it's in Dodger Stadium. He did undergo – He's, he didn't undergo surgery, but he had an extended lat injury that caused him to miss a lot of time. I believe there were some concerns about his elbow. Yeah. You know, it's another – obviously, he can still pitch. We know what he did in Milwaukee, that big fastball and that big breaking ball, kind of like another Greg Holland in a sense. But another maybe like prove it deal, and I hate to say it, but if the Marlins aren't competitive and we have a guy like that who's pitching well, could get could merit a decent return come the trade deadline. And then another Dodger that I had who – you know, pitched relatively phenomenally before he got hurt. This is going to be another one of those. I'm sure you remember when Garrett Richards signed with the San Diego Padres. It was a three-year deal after amidst, I believe he had thoracic outlet surgery when he was with the Angels. So he missed a season. Then he came back as a reliever, and then they kind of tried to build him up as a starter. But Jimmy Nelson, I thought right. Jimmy Nelson was excellent in his 29 innings as a Dodger. 44 strikeouts, 186 ERA. He had... Tommy John surgery and he had flexor strain surgery. I was kind of thinking of a deal in the sense for a guy like Nelson, who I think could contribute in 2023 because he had the Tommy John surgery late in the 2021 season, maybe like a two year deal where, you know, you're not going to pay him much in that first year, but you're going to pay him in 2022 to come back and possibly be a part of that bullpen. His fastball velocity, you know, he was sitting 92 to 94, topping out at 96, good breaking, good breaking ball and slider, you know, a former starter, but a guy who could give you length out of the Marlins bullpen, you know, something we haven't always seen, especially since the days of like Brian Sanchez, you know, back in the old stadium. But a guy that I've always kind of liked, especially going back to Milwaukee, I believe in 2017 when he pitched 177 innings, had almost 200 strikeouts, sub four ERA. You know, a guy who was a league average pitcher, but has kind of made that Andrew Miller like transition to where he, when healthy, can be an utterly dominant reliever. Kniebel I love and for both of them just the fact that they miss bats I mean they the Marlins need guys in the bullpen that miss bats simply put uh when they're healthy and Kniebel has always done that when he's been healthy so and with Nelson he's he's a really curious one because as you said he has that starter background and he he finally it took him he was gone for a long time with his own injuries prior to this but now in that limited sample he kind of started to figure it out exactly how to make that transition I dig it a lot. Um, okay, so another, I'll stick with one more uh, reliever here. I don't have a ton of them, but going back to another Cincinnati Reds guy, one that will definitely be on the market is Michael Lorenzen, the right-handed pitcher, one of the only uh, free agents that can probably lift more than you can out there, wouldn't you say? <laughs> it's a pretty short list. But he's, I think pretty, he he's pretty strong. If you look at his stats overall, like this year, it's really underwhelming. But the di- the deeper you kind of dig into it, the more encouraged I was that it was really skewed by just a couple outings the at the very, very end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, that w- And when it's such a small sample, because he was out with a couple kind of fluky injuries earlier this year, nothing that I think you'd be too concerned about moving forward that with the small sample and you have the very last outing of the, re- of the year, he gave up five runs to the Pirates without yeah. getting anybody out. And so that alone kind of, and even the outing before that the same way, it really just skyrocketed all of his rate stats and his ERA to, to make him look more uh, like 
questionable than he actually is, but he has an unusually deep pitch mix for a guy that is usually in the bullpen. He, um, and he has a pretty long track record. I mean, with the reds, there was at times this year, I mean, part of this was because of not, not so much about him, more so about like the incompetence of his teammates that he was pitching in high leverage situations. He was closing games for them uh, for a decent stretch of the season as well. The fact that he has that kind of experience kind of jumped out to me to go along with that. Uh, he's, he's just a really interesting guy. I mean, a big one of the interesting factors with him is, of course, the fact that he can actually hit a tiny bit. We don't think that's going to be that much of a factor in the future if we do get, fingers crossed, the universal DH. But, but maybe maybe if he turns out to be a guy that uh, they really do believe in just as a pinch hitter in certain rare opportunities, like that's something that's going to be fascinating for baseball inspired by what Otani has done this year is figuring out guys that can do just a little bit on both sides of the ball and how efficient that is for your roster. If you have one guy that does a little bit of both, I, I think even like more so than the bat, at least he, he can play outfield defense. Like he actually mm -hmm. has the arm and he has a little bit of the athleticism to, to play the outfield defense. If you're in a really weird situation with injuries or an in extra innings or something like that, and you need him to do that. Um, it's coming off the season that he had, I, I just figured that he'll also be a pretty affordable guy that you can squeeze into the mix. Um, frankly, I like your picks more than mine. I like someone like Knievel even a lot more than this one, but he was he was on my list, so just wanted to shout him out. Lorenzen misses bats too, and I, you know, other than wanting to see the Vans cleats in Miami, I think it'd be very, you know, he's definitely one of those reclamation projects. You can even look at in Cincinnati too. Look at a guy like Sean Doolittle, who probably wasn't healthy all year. But again, another he's a left-handed guy, fastball heavy, who, you know, when healthy, was one of the better relievers for a prolonged period of time. I mean, he won a World Series. He's got so he's got playoff experience. He's got, he is at one point an elite closer. Um, if I want to, you know, we're talking about guys that have the ability to make uh, air out of bats as far as swinging and missing goes. I, I highlighted two guys who I think are very underappreciated, at least what they did this year. But one of these guys has actually has a prolonged track record of being a very good reliever going back to his days in Pittsburgh. I'm a big, and I've always been a big Tony Watson fan. I've always been a big fan of his. Even if he doesn't strike guys out at, at the rate that we would like, he's always just kind of been a you know sinker, change-up, slider guy, good ground ball pitcher. He's a Eli, he's got a career 136 ERA plus. You know, to do that as a relief pitcher over a decade plus career is solid. I mean, he pitched very well when he went back to San Francisco. And fun fact, he was drafted by the Marlins in 2003. He was drafted three times. Oh, yeah. The first time he was drafted was by the Marlins out of high school in, I believe, Iowa in 2003. Hmm. I mean, but this year, you know, a 3.92 ERA, but the FIP says otherwise he had a three four eight fit so he got and he, he pitched 57 innings he was dirt he's durable he's always been you know he's always able to give you length he can work multiple innings if you need to i believe he has some experience at closer you know that's like if i were to project like what i want to see in dylan floral going forward maybe he has a little bit more swing and miss but he reminds me a lot of tony watson in the way that he can kind of cut and bend the baseball they're very similar pitchers to me in that regard but i've always been a big tony watson fan Especially, too, when you consider that, you know, ground ball pitchers like that and 
you know, this infatuation we have in, like, defensive metrics. I was talking to Jazz, like, on the last day of the season, and he kind of noted to me, we were on the field because we were interviewing Mattingly and Rojas. It was that um, day when Rojas served as the, uh, the manager for the day, final game of the season. And Jazz talked about his adoration for playing behind ground ball pitchers. Obviously, you got Sandy, who's throwing 98, bowling ball sinker, getting a lot of balls on the ground. Guys like Pablo, you know, even though he's a little bit more of a fly ball pitcher. And Jazz talked about how much he loves fielding ground balls and he loves playing behind ground ball pitchers. And I look at him and I look at Miguel Rojas, two guys who over the last couple of years, I mean, this year alone, Jazz is not a shortstop long-term, but second base, he defensive metrics thought he was relatively good. I believe he was plus four defensive run save. Rojas slightly above average at shortstop as well. I think pitchers like Watson and maybe another guy that I'll just name briefly, I'm not going to spend too much time on him, but TJ McFarlane, who you know knows the East Coast. He used to play for Baltimore, but he spent this year at St. Louis, a 256 ERA in 38 innings, didn't miss many bats in the 21 strikeouts. I think guys like that who aren't, you know, aren't, they don't possess 98 in their back pocket the way that a lot of these relievers do nowadays could benefit from having an infield of guys like, you know, Rojas, Chisholm, and then if he's healthy, a healthy Brian Anderson playing third base, another guy who can play great defensive infield. Um, yeah, if you want to go on to somebody else, that's fine. I just wanted to highlight Tony Watson because I think, you know, he ages like fine wine. He's, you know, he's had some struggles of, recently but he just continues to be consistent and i think that's the biggest thing you want in a position such as relief pitching where you just never know what you're gonna get these guys it's such a year-to-year outing to outing kind of thing with these guys yeah i'll take this opportunity to remind people again the specific niche topic that we're covering here this being aisle one quote unquote of our marlins off-season shopping of guys that last season produced 1.0 1.0 wins above replacement or less based on baseball reference. So a combination of guys that are either in small roles or coming off injuries or just coming off down years, smaller opportunities for whatever reason, ones that generally speaking are going to be pretty easy to acquire, but it kind of depends on the exact situation and we will work our way up. Don't you worry. We're going to make this full series actually working our way up to the big names that are already top of minds. This is just formatted in a way to really cast a wide net for all these players that potentially could fit with the Marlins um, in a sensible way for 2022. Let me go over, I guess we'll spend some time on outfielders. That seems to be the one position that you can really bank on them making some sort of investment in aside from Jesus Sanchez, Brian Dela Cruz. It's a whole lot of question marks as to what exactly they're going to do. And they'll be looking for somebody Uh, This is going to be a really brief one on Mike Talkman, just because he was like pounding on the top of my minds around like spring training and heading into opening day last year. Um, He had a great like partial season with the Yankees in 2019 where he got on base a ton and he was super valuable in the outfield corners. And he was like a three, three and a half war player in less than a full-time job. He took a big step back in the shortened season and it was a situation where you kind of wanted to write that off a little bit and believe that he was actually the under the radar breakout guy that he was the previous year. But then this year he like continued to plummet and he got traded to the giants. He did nothing for the giants. Um, basically went into witness protection for the second half of the year. So he's in a situation where I don't even think you need to give him a major league deal. He is, a, he is really just a take a flyer on this type of guy, but somebody that is really good on base skills who is, still in his early 30s and you'd think like the physical skills are still there to be a pretty decent defender 
Um, not going to hit for power, but like he does a little bit, he, he has this like the tools to do a little bit of everything else. So at the very least, I think if they're in a position where they can give that guy like a minor league invite to spring training and just see what happens from there, if, if they do end up needing him, um, then I, I think there are a lot worse things. Just yeah. going back through the years and seeing the type of guys that they've given minor league invites before, uh, I'd be a lot more excited about him than, than, than Matt Kemp or late stage Curtis Granderson or somebody uh, like that. Yeah, he he's kind of like his Yankee tenure was a slightly more fleshed out Dustin Fowler. If we remember, Dustin Fowler suffered that gruesome injury in Chicago in his major league debut playing right field going for a foul ball. Um, I Because Talkman suffered a very bad leg injury in Boston. I think it was mid-August of 2019. And like you said, he had been excellent, especially that was the year that, you know, 2019 the Yankees had Judge Stanton couldn't stay on the field. Um, you know, Aaron Hicks – string of injuries continued and they had guys like Cameron Maben, Clint, Clint Frazier played well and Talkman, guys like that kind of carried that team, a team that still wound up winning like a hundred games and made it, you know, all the way to the, you know, they made it to the division series before losing to Houston. But yeah, I, I've always, I've, I've definitely been interested in Talkman. I was a little suspicious when the Yankees first got him just because he had done practically nothing in Colorado in his like cups of coffee that he had there. But then, you know, obviously showed to be competent. I would be a little concerned given the injuries and the poor performance with San Francisco, another ballpark where, you know, pitching is king and home runs are few and far between. Yeah, well, for it's, it, I guess in general it was, but this year for the Giants, everybody's hitting home runs except for him. So that's kind of what's the yeah. for that and team. I had somebody that I wrote about, last offseason that I thought would have made sense for us just because I really thought 2021 had different things in mind as far as Marlins, you know, where they would finish in the standings. I, and, you know, if it happens, it happens. But I, you know, he was literally an average player this year, 0.0 baseball reference war. But Jock Peterson, I thought would have made a lot of sense as far as getting a veteran outfield. And obviously they got Duvall and made all the inconsistencies with the on-base he played excellent defense. We actually were the first team to give him center field pl playing time, which he's done with Atlanta. Speaking of that, they just advanced to the, the NLCS, so yep. that's fun. But, you know, a, a veteran outfielder who, if we're in October, and we've seen him do it with the Dodgers, we've seen him do it now with Atlanta with two pinch at home runs, has a pedigree of hitting big in big moments. You know, obviously the moment doesn't necessarily mean anything to him. To right field. Garcia going back, looking up. It is gone. A blast. Pinch hit. Three run home run for Jock Peterson. And the Atlanta Braves are on top. Three to nothing. His second pinch hit home run of this NLTS. But this is a guy who a 390, a 422 slug this year, 93 OPS plus. He's hit slightly better when he went to Atlanta. I believe he was still 4% below the league average by OPS plus standards. But he's a career 462 slug. He's a relatively decent corner outfielder. He has the ability to play center field. I, you know, he gets on base for a guy who doesn't necessarily hit for average. You know, he balances it with a decent amount of walks. He's a career 337 OBP guy, which isn't terrible, especially when you consider the way that he was utilized in LA, when at one point he was a starter. 
And then he was, you know, kind of like a role player, the way that guys like Kike were, and we've seen with guys like Zach McKintry this year. You know, it could it could be worse, but I've you know I've always just thought like you need to have a guy like that, a veteran who's who's done it, you know, that can show guys like De La Cruz who's going to have his first full go around with the in the, the majors next year and. Guys like Jesus Sanchez, you know, what it takes to be a big leaguer. And a 462 slug over parts of eight seasons is nothing to scoff at, especially when you consider all the inconsistencies he had at the outset of his career after that all-star first half in 2015. Another guy that I had was Jorge Soler, and who knows what's going to happen. The dude just got hit with COVID. I believe he tested positive, so he's out of the series. A guy that when we were talking before the the podcast started about the inevitability or possibly the hope of a universal DH was somebody that I thought would fit in this regard because he's allergic to leather in the outfield. We know that. he. It's funny. I look at it this morning. He has 8.4 baseball reference war via offense, so 8.40 war. His defense... His defensive value is minus 50 career DRS, but he's minus 8.4 defensive war. So he's literally been, I mean, he has 3.5 baseball reference war total, but most of his offensive output, especially in a guy, a guy who hit like 47 home runs a couple of years ago with the Royals has kind of really not meant much because he's just not a reliable glove in the outfield. But again, we talk about guys who hit can hit in October 54 plate appearances in the postseason entering today. He's got a 628 slugging percentage, 426 OBP. He, you know, he, he hits for power, a thing that we don't necessarily have. He walks more than a guy like Duvall did, so he can balance the defensive shortcomings with a very good bat at times. You know, not always the most consistent player, but for somebody who was picked up for next to nothing from Atlanta or with Atlanta. And to where they are now, I think that speaks to, you know, guys stepping up like him and Peterson and Eddie Rosario and Duvall when guy like Acuna goes down and they don't have a pitcher like Soroka all season. But, you know, if I wouldn't be upset if our everyday DH in 2022 was a guy like Solaire because I think his power, and obviously we saw in Kauffman Stadium, a ballpark again that plays more for pitchers, you know, it'd be something that could benefit our lineup, a lineup that finished with a team OPS plus of like 87. Like I believe we were 28th in the majors and um, total OPS plus. So yeah. the offensive shortcomings continue, but those are two outfielders that I kind of wanted to make note of guys that I think we pluck them from the same division right now and just insert them in all our ballpark. Yeah. Well, that's our first intersection on Jack. Jack Peterson is the one that we both came up with independently echoing a lot of the stuff that you said that he was somebody that I thought made a lot of sense uh, entering last year. As it turns out, he went to the Cubs because they promised like an everyday playing time and that lasted a little while. And then it just turned out that he's a, he's mostly a platoon hitter, but he's a pretty useful platoon guy that does play a little bit of each of those outfield spots. Um, At least from what we know about him during these playoff runs that he had with the Dodgers and now with the Braves, he is a very interesting uh, clubhouse guy and a good ambassador for the team for whatever points you give to him about that. And he's still relatively young compared to most of these other free agents. So I'm really on board with that. One other outfielder, this would be a, a trade candidate and it's a, it's another like actual current Yankee. So I want to like stay away from the Yankees moving forward, but Clint Frazier is a name that 
was at least on Marlon's Twitter. He was a name that I saw constantly in like 2019 when he was seemed to be really putting it all together. Uh, as you, you mentioned with, with Talkman, that was a year where the Yankees were like ravaged by injuries and they had to lean on guys that they weren't expecting to lean on. And that include Frazier. Like there was an extended stretch in there where he's playing every day and he was hitting pretty well. His defense was terrible in that first stint, but they kind of just needed the bat in there. And he had 12 home runs in 246 plate appearances. That's pretty awesome. Even in like a tiny ballpark. Then last year in the shortened season, I feel like it kind of went under the radar that he was excellent. Again, not he didn't play the full year. I think he had some minor injury in there, if not COVID, but he, he had a 905 OPS in the shortened season last year as well. Got on base a ton, just did everything you want. And this year, um, he's another buy low guy because he's coming off a disaster of a year where he didn't perform at all. Uh, he hit 186 with a 633 OPS. And he has been out like his entire second half of the year was wiped out by vertigo and by dizziness where they, as far as I've been able to follow on the news updates, I don't think they really like totally got him over the hump and like trying to feel normal again and trying to be a player again. It's not a physical injury, but it's, yeah, it's, it's vertigo. It's him not being able to like be do athletic activities in the way that you're supposed to do. So it's a pretty scary situation. Uh, for his future at the moment for a team that is always seemingly in win now mode. We know has plenty. They kind of have, have their outfield accounted for as it is between Stanton and judge and Joey Gallo still has a year left on his deal. And Aaron Hicks coming back from an injury that, that for a team that's like under those kind of expectations um, for someone that I thought the Marlins might be able to like make some sort of creative trade for earlier in the rebuild. This would be an opportunity to not really give up much of anything at this point to just give him a shot. What I mean, aside from the production, what I love about him is just he has this really innate ability to find the barrel and to get it on his sweet spot. You can look at his his barrel rate is like 10%, where the league average is more like seven. And same thing with just making really great quality contacts again and again and again. He does swing and miss a lot. His defense is kind of still up for debate. I just feel like he's someone that would be pretty obviously available if the Marlins would dip even a tiny bit into their younger pitching depth and be able to give him a, a shot. Where exactly he fits, uh, I, I I think you probably just give him a lot of playing time in left field probably to go to complement with the guys they already have. It, it's just so, so important at those outfield spots to try to prior prioritize power. And of course you, you kind of hit it on the head with both Peterson and Solaire. This is someone in Frazier that in about the equivalent, he's on like a 20 plus home run pace for his career per season. If you wanted to extrapolate that out. And I think the potential is a lot higher than that moving forward, even with like a change in ballpark, when you get the ball in the barrel, that's the kind of stuff that goes out, no matter where you play. So he's somebody that uh, if he's physically right, uh, I think he's worth taking a flyer on in, in some sort of pitching for hitting trade. And he, yeah, he eventually needs to play every day because obviously, I mean, 39 games in 2020 isn't enough to prove maybe that he belongs per se, although it took like 50 games for De La, for Brian De La Cruz to kind of become the savior unofficially in Miami in some regards as far as the position player court is concerned. But, I mean, yeah, Clint Frazier has to play every day. I think he's one of those guys that's kind of just been mismanaged. The Indians drafted him. They traded him to the Yankees. They obviously 
you know, just didn't, um, you know, utilize him well because he just didn't get consistent playing time. We know about how bad the defense is. And, yeah, the problems that he has, you know, they've festered over the years. But a lot of that, I think, is due to the overall just inconsistent string of playing time that he's received. It'd scare me in one regard if we acquired a guy like that. But knowing the upside and knowing how touted he was being drafted out of high school, I believe he was drafted in the same class as Austin Meadows, and both of them played against each other in high school. And there's, I mean, that's a literate, you literally can like look at those two in a very light way that you would Harper Trout in that they really broke onto the scene in the same time, and their, their developments have kind of been pitted against each other. Whereas Meadows, has gotten he got consistent playing time for a short time in Pittsburgh and then Tampa he's obviously become a he was an all-star and he's a great defender he hits for power he gets on base he can run a little bit where Frazier kind of possesses some of that but he's just never gotten the ability to play every day on a consistent basis and he's never had that full-time security of knowing like listen I got time to to make corrections and he's been up a slew of times over the course of the last 5 years but Apparently, he hasn't done enough, especially when you have a guy like Stanton who's under contract and Judge who's honestly just the epitome of a consistently great hitter to, you know, merit that full-time job in left field. And Brett Gardner obviously never went anywhere, so it's hard. It, 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 it's hard. I mean, it wouldn't be the worst thing if the Marlins did that. I mean, my money, honestly, I think if we're going to be competitive next year, let's go with a veteran a guy who has a proven postseason track record, and I believe Frazier did have some offensive shortcomings in the playoffs as well. But, you know, stranger things have happened. Babe Ruth got traded for a play, so what are we going to do? If you want, we can move on to infielders because there's definitely a lot of guys that we can discuss there. And Yeah, yeah, let's do a, it. Yeah, so we, so we talked about outfielders, talked about catcher. The first guy that stuck out to, stood out to me was, um, and, you know, and when I talk about guys that can move over across the field, I've said a million times how much I want Kim Ang to call Chris Taylor's agent, give him a, a check akin to like what Ben Zobers got with the Cubs, four for 64, I believe it was. Yeah, even less. I think four for 56. Was That's right. It. Yes. Four for, you can see, Zobers got four years, 56 million, about what, like $14 million a year for a guy who's going to play second base in the corner outfield positions? Gets on base, doesn't strike out. A very poor man's version of Chris Taylor, albeit with about the same type of power, if not more, if he's playing every day, is Brad Miller. Brad Miller, I will clarify this. He's had a couple of seasons. He had one season when Tampa, I believe, he hit over 30 home runs. He's kind of like a positionless guy, though. Everywhere he's played all over the field, he's been below average as far as the metrics go. He's like the anti-Kike Hernandez, where... TK, you can plug him in anywhere, and you're going to get average to slightly above average defense. Same thing with Taylor. But Brad Miller possesses, like Duvall did when we brought him on, is a guy who can hit the ball out of the ballpark. And he did it in Philadelphia last year, and he did it again this year. Well, he did it with St. Louis the previous year. My apologies. But, you know, point four R war. He had 377 plate appearances. He had 20 home runs, 321 on base, 453 slug. All while playing games at first base, second base, third base, shortstop, corner outfield positions, even sometimes at center field. He, while he's not the best defender, and you can look at metrics like defensive war, total zone, or D war to look at 
to kind of gauge how poor, or, you know, you know, n- not great he's been defensively. You'll see that, but you know, you need utility players like that who could spell guys. And you know, we may, you know, even if signing Brad Miller means we may lose a game or two late because he's playing shaky defense at wherever he is. You know, the power, the power is just the alluring thing. I mean, even if we're home runs aren't as sexy as thing as they used to be, you know, he could be a guy who could hit a walk-off home run for us late or, you know, get a big hit late in the game to help us win a game or two. And I think that's, you know, I think that says something about, about, you know, going after a guy like that, pursuing a guy with the ability to hit the long ball. And he knows the division if he's played in Philadelphia, he's played in Florida before, he played with the Rays. He's moved around a little bit, but again, it's the idea of just having somebody who can come off your bench and at any time could hit a home run, I think, is something that we are lacking on our bench and could benefit from. Yeah, he is he's built pretty well, I'd say, in this current situation with the National League, not having a DH, the fact that you have to use pinch hitters a lot. Let me see how often he actually was used as a pinch hitter this year. I imagine it was like a ton yeah, 56 games, 51, yeah, 56 times he was used as a pinch hitter. And he did even better in those situations than he did overall, 810 OPS in those situations. I guess you could like translate that the other way that pinch hitting is has a lot in common with being a DH. And if there are opportunities next year to get starts, especially against righties, uh, to be a DH, that he's a guy that seems like he already understands the rhythm of that kind of role and being able to, to fill it. One other veteran infielder that you brought up before the show that actually hadn't occurred to me was Jed Lowry, who is going to be a free agent again. He, and he's really on the older side at this point of his career. But if you look at his career carefully, you know that age isn't really the most important thing. The most important thing is just when he, like, for whatever reason, plays for the Oakland days. Like, that brings out the best in him, like, this past mm-hmm. season, especially early on this year. Because you look at the overall stats this year, and they don't really – pop out that much but early in the season he did have a pretty extended stretch of being a a really solid average player he was basically their everyday second baseman for a pretty extended stretch with most importantly he has that history of being at several infield spots uh not quite as many positions as miller but he seems to be you know more competent at those positions than miller is i think at second base at third base and for a good chunk of his career at shortstop i think you have to imagine now that He's going to be 38, you know, shortly after opening day. He's not going to be playing shortstop anymore. But I love the all these guys. We're going to be getting to them like later in the series because some of them were just a little too good to actually fit in this portion of the pod because of how valuable they were. And Lowry is Lowry fits because he was right around replacement level. But all these guys that can play both second base and third base at the same time and can hit a little bit. That is a kind of player that really specifically they desperately need desperately need um as for i mean it's a combination of insurance for brian anderson coming off surgery um with jazz the way that jazz plays we love it but it's he gets into all these situations where you just worry about him taking the wrong type of hit and suffering a serious injury and even when he doesn't there are always these little things that precautionarily like take him out for a few days at a time that having somebody that plays those particular positions gets on base a little bit. It has that type of power. Um, any, anybody that fits that description, they need needs to be on their list for sure. 
Another guy who kind of fits that description too is the, is the last um, infielder I noted was Estrubal Cabrera. And he could be a guy like you noted with Talkman, where you don't necessarily have to give him a major league deal. He could be on a minor league deal. He is, I believe he's going to be 38 come the start of the season. So he is a little bit older. But if you look at his career, it's very understated. I mean, you know, with this conversation centers on war and guys having bad years or good years. But if you look at his career, he what he's a 30 war player over the course of his career. Yeah. And a lot can be said about, you know, to put up 20 war is impressive. I mean, Jay Bruce had over 300 home runs. He finished slightly below 20 wins above replacement because of, you know, the defense. And obviously he's not a big, he wasn't a great base runner, but it's Shubo Cabrera nearly 40 offensive war. He's for the majority of his career, he's been a below average defender, but like Brad Miller possesses the ability to hit the occasional home run and he can play third base. He can play second base. He was a shortstop at one point. He has postseason experience with the nationals. He won a world series with them. He, you know, I think there's any of these guys would produce better than what Joe Panic did in his 25, 30 OPS plus in his short but less than illustrious stint in Miami. You know, but like having guys who can, and we've even seen in recent years, as Trubal Cabrera said, you know, I'm not just a second baseman or a third baseman. I'll play first base if you need me to. Guys like that are valuable, especially too when you consider Garrett Cooper, who may look to be a first baseman DH type next year. If he's not healthy, a security blanket to at least get some spot starts at first base. Estrubal Cabrera is not bad, especially too when you consider the fact that he still can at any time, even at his age. You know, he's hit 200-plus home runs. Hit one out. And, you know, he's going to play in a division in Atlanta, Philadelphia, where he's going to have a couple of ballparks where he'd be able to do some decent damage offensively. But, you know, I mean, he's not going to be expensive. He's older. You know, you're not going to get great defense, but you could do a lot worse. I mean, obviously, as we get more into the series, we'll get to guys who can make more of a tangible difference. But yeah. And with Estrubal, I remember very vividly when he got – he was playing against the Marlins early in the year when he got hurt. He, I remember the play, I guess it was his hamstring or something like that, and he like knew it in the moment that it was an injury, mm -hmm. and it didn't actually keep him out that long, only a few weeks. When he got back, that's when – he was never the same guy as he was early in the year. At the time of that injury, he had an 866 OPS at, at that age, which is pretty incredible. He's getting on base 40% of the time. And I guess to be, if you want to be realistic about expectations moving forward, you would take probably the larger sample after the injury, the final four months of the season. So I don't want to like sugarcoat it one way or the other. It is always just something that intrigues me when you see a somewhat extended stretch of the season where a guy hits at a great level. He was hitting at that great level through almost the first quarter of the season. So that alone has to be uh, pretty exciting. And who, so who else is, is left on your list? We'll just run through them pretty quickly. The last guy I had was another kind of flyer guy. And this is really the last guy I wanted to highlight. And again, this is really just like a last attempt at salv salvaging anything. Aaron Sanchez, look, 2016, he won the ERA title in the American League. He only That was his first full season in the majors. 
that was the year I believe he finished third in Cy Young voting to Rick Porcello and Justin Verlander. He had a three ERA that year. He wasn't terrible with San Francisco this year, but again, it's the consistent string of injuries that have kind of ruined what we at once thought was a promising big league career. I mean, I remember when he debuted, you know, made his debut against the Red Sox in Toronto. He was throwing 96 to 100 with yeah. a great changeup and good off and good breaking stuff. You know, now his fastball was, you know, barely a tick over 90 last season. But then again, he had a 306 ERA, 405 FIP in 35 innings. Obviously, the bat, uh, missing bats wasn't there. And the injury history is very concerning. You know, he's only 29, though. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, father time is undefeated. And it's not a good indicator if you've been hurt to the, the length that he has at this stage of his career. But, you know... But you can reclamation projects are almost more fun to root for than the team itself. Just watching a guy kind of come back, and we saw it with Francisco Liriano in Pittsburgh. We saw it to the extent I remember at one point John Main came back with the Marlins in 2013 after not yeah. pitching for a while with the New York Mets. Obviously, that didn't go so well, but he made it back to the big leagues. Scott Casimir this year with the Giants, and you know the Giants succeeded at the outset when they were pitched when they were playing very well at the start of the season. Aaron Sanchez was a very small part, but again, still a part of the reason why they played the way they did at the first part of the season. Again, that's a guy where you're just kind of saying, we'll give you a minor league deal, come into spring training, show us what you have, show us that you're healthy. And, you know, even if he's a guy that's giving you four innings, you can, the way that pitchers are used nowadays, the amount of data that we have, how forward thinking the likes of Jeter, Kim Ang, and everybody in the Marlins front office appears to be you could find a role for him and you know if we get even if we get 50 innings out of him as a reliever it's you know it could be worse but again if he's 29 and we obviously we saw what Kim Ang did in her first year we she took a guy like Stephen Oker who hadn't pitched in the big leagues in two three years yeah and he put together a sub three RA he was excellent for the Marlins and, you know, a lot of that is Kim Ang and Mel Sotomayor. You know, they can obviously work with guys who were, not to say cast-offs, because Sanchez was at one point one of the more promising pitchers in the sport, but they can at least find something that has been missing from them in a while, for them for a while. And, yeah, I mean, he's always intrigued me because I thought his stuff was great. I mean, I remember when Houston acquired him. His first start, he pitched six no-hit innings, and they threw a combined no-hitter against the Mariners in 2019. Guys like that, like, there's obviously something still there. He just needs to be healthy enough to be able to showcase that on a, on a consistent basis. A somewhat comparable player. This will be the final one that I'll finish on, who is also mainly a starting pitcher. Not quite the same desperation level of, like, being a reclamation project, but definitely coming off a really bad year and now testing free agency for the first time would be a potential reunion with Andrew Heaney former Marlins first round draft pick who had been almost his entire career since that trade. He'd been with the angels. He had some nice moments with the angels. He had some injuries with the angels. The last couple of years he'd been healthy with like some good results. And then this year, just a really wacky year where all the way up until the trade deadline, there was that huge disparity between his ERA, which was pretty high into the fives 
and his FIP, which was right around four. I, and I remember he got, so he got traded to the Yankees midseason, and he was saying the right things about how he just felt that things would even out, that he still believed in his ability because the peripherals were still really solid if you're doing that as a starter, and they did not even out. Like, it was a disaster down the stretch. He was, you'd have to put him near the top of the list of the worst trade deadline acquisitions. And the, I mean, the main undoing with him was the home runs. He, he allowed 16 before the trade, which was a problem. He allowed 13 after the trade, which like, I can't even put into words, like how insane that is. Like by the end of the year, let me see what the official roster move is. I think they did DFA him. Yeah. They didn't even like give them the, the courtesy of technically finishing the year on their roster because he couldn't do anything for them, even though, I mean, the key is that, I mean, he struck out 27% of the batters he faced as a, again, as a mostly starting pitcher towards the end, they tried him in like long relief, low leverage stuff. He is, his raw stuff. It's kind of like Aaron Sanchez where like his, his VLO is not overwhelming at this point. He does have a pretty unorthodox release point in the, is the movement on his breaking ball has always been really curious he seemed like a guy that could break out this year and instead went in the opposite direction. And it's like the worst possible thing to go into free agency on that note. And we, I mean, we know that the Marlins aren't desperate for starting pitching, but kind of the key with him, I guess at the end of the year, he didn't really have an option, but they moving him to the bullpen. If it's somebody that's at least a little open-minded about their role and about how they're being used as being perhaps a player that works best, if he's only working, a few innings at a time, three or four innings at a time. The Marlins haven't used pitchers that often that way to this point. But if there's somebody that we think can miss bats, that has a lot of big league experience that I think he's just somebody that I'm curious about. So I don't know what his market is coming off the, the season that he has. We know these teams are smart. Like they know they're he's better than a 5.83 ERA. They know he's, I guess overall by, Baseball reference war, he was 0.3 war. Um, I, th I think his market is a little bit higher than the stats would indicate, but like still in a situation where it's definitely a one-year deal. It's definitely a really low number. And I'm I'm just fascinated by those type of guys because even though like pitching is a strength of the team, that doesn't mean that they can go a hundred percent on their internal options and expect to be like a contender. Like there's still little things on the margins that they'll have to take shots on. And he's one of those guys that I would take a shot on if the market is right. Yeah, whenever I watch him pitch, because even living in the East Coast, a lot of MLB, MLB Network does tend to air a lot of West Coast games at night. I see a guy who he's, you know, we talk about velocity. He's about 91 to 93 with his fastball. But you'd kind of think, I mean, hitters obviously are chasing launch angle. We're living in generation launch angle. I mean, when guys like Mark Trumbo, to me, Mark Trumbo was one of the guys who really first took hold of that. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to tailor my swing to this approach as a hitter. Heaney is a guy who, for as much as we'd like to call him a finesse pitcher, in this era, in the context of this era, he's a guy that, you know, the strikeouts come from the fact that guys are chasing high fastballs you know, more than ever nowadays, a lot of the home runs he allows are on fastballs that are left up in the zone or breaking balls that just don't break. You know, if you're throwing 92 up in the zone to a guy in the American League, that you know that looks like batting practice at this point. He's going to get hurt. You know, there obviously has to be a mechanical adjustment. You know, I 
every, it's so funny. Whenever I see a pitcher have a horrendous season on the eve of free agency, I'm always just hoping for one thing, and then they go to a team like Houston because obviously Houston can take a guy and show him like, hey, you're doing this wrong, and you should be doing this more. And I, like it worked for a guy like Rizzi this year. It's worked for guys like Brooks Raley, who are pretty much nothings. I mean, Heaney, I'm not saying that the Marlins don't have the brass and the brains to be able to do that. I'd just be scared, like, having a fly ball pitcher who's not throwing overtly hard in this ballpark. I mean, we got away with it somewhat with Okert yeah. out of the bullpen. And Heaney could be a guy coming out of the bullpen, you know, a lefty, almost an Andrew Miller type where – it hasn't worked as a starter. I mean, he never posted an ERA below 4.15 in his time with the Angels. And you'd think he would have pitched better considering the ballpark that they play in. But things just didn't work out. And, I mean, I, his first out of the Yankees he gave him four home runs. He was the first pitcher in Yankees history to allow four home runs his team debut. It's the knack for throwing, you know, just – I'll say it again. You know, just you can't – you're not going to get away with much if you're not – overpowering guys up in the zone with a fastball that's you know 91 to 93 it's not gonna it unless you're clayton kershaw and you have pinpoint control and he doesn't have bad command he's relatively good at commanding the strike zone you're just not gonna get away with much because all we i mean he's at this point he's a two-pitch pitcher like you're saying he's event if he stays in the majors he's a reliever he's a two-pitch guy fastball slider who could have success but I think as a starter, you know, that's kind of on its course. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've no, I don't have the specific plan to figure him out, but he's somebody, he's kind of that type of pitcher that if they are going to make any sort of investment in starting pitching, um, it seems like it'd be that type of guy. It would definitely be a one-year deal for somebody that um, has decent experience and has, at least in the past couple of years, been healthy and all that stuff um, because they were, they were missing, they were totally missing that this season. And if they have a lot more pressure to be successful next year, then I think they need to do something in that general area. But I, th I think we agree that we know their priorities are going to be in that catcher and be outfields and going to be in those even infield depth on the, definitely on the position player side. That stuff we'll be covering on this series, on this Marlins off-season yeah. shopping podcast series. I think the tentative plan is to make this five episodes once once a week as we move up the chain. We're gonna we promise we're gonna move up to players that are actually good guys that at least are coming off good seasons compared to the ones this uh, that we covered here in aisle one. That's Lewis Adia Weiss, Eli Sussman. Thanks everybody for spending this hour with us. If you guys in your own research you come across any players that fit this bill that were right around replacement level or worse last year that you think the Marlins could match up with in free agency or trade, you, you know, you know how to find us and uh, just let us know who that player is and, and why you think that would make sense. But again, we'll be back with this moving up the chain on this to aisle two coming up uh, hopefully next week here on the podcast. Thanks everybody for listening as always go fish. Go fish. Go fish.